Hi, I'm Billy Vera, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Hey, thank you for stopping by for another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. It's the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with the guests from the movie, TV, or music industry. And this week, we have a good one. Billy Vera is going to be joining us. Billy, of course, sang the monster hit song from the 80s called At This Moment. And they used it on the TV show Family Ties, Michael J. Fox, when his love and all this were breaking up and everything. And uh, it's a memorable moment, a memorable song from that uh, TV show. And also, of course, uh, the song went on to become a huge hit. And uh, we're going to be talking about that. And Billy's got a lot of things going on, and uh, it's going to be interesting. So stick around. Billy Vera is coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. And this week, we'll take a look at uh, what's coming your way as far as releases in theaters and on DVD and Blu-ray in May. And uh, this is episode 407 of On Screen and Beyond. And uh, what do you say? Let's get right into it. It's time for Remake Madness on On Screen and Beyond. Remake Madness as far as uh, movies that are coming your way in May in theaters uh, that are going to be remakes. Well, this one is uh, sort of a remake. It's uh, a remaking of an app into a movie. And the app goes Hollywood on May 20th as the Angry Birds movie arrives on May 20th. And that is it, surprisingly, uh, as far as remakes coming our way in May in theaters. Next on On Screen and Beyond, let's find out what's coming away as far as upcoming new movies in theaters in May. Upcoming new movies in theaters in May. Well, it looks like on May 6th, Mothers and Daughters stars Susan Sarandon, Sharon Stone, Courtney Cox, and Christina Ricci. And a whole lot of other stars, too. And it's all interwoven stories about being a mom. And Money Monster stars Julia Roberts and George Clooney on May 13th. And Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling star in The Nice Guys. And uh, that's on May 20th as a private investigator looks into an apparent suicide of a fading porn star in the 70s. And he uncovers a conspiracy. That's it for upcoming new movies in theaters in May. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we'll take a peek at sequels coming your way in theaters in May. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Sequels coming your way in May in theaters on May 6th. Captain America Civil War. Well, that one's going to pit Captain America against Iron Man. What, what is this? We, we, we had Batman against Superman. Now we have Captain America against Iron Man. 
Uh, it, they all just seem to keep swirling things around. And, uh, well, you know, that's the way it goes, I guess. They, uh, they keep uh, repeating everything. And Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising. And that one, of course, brings back Seth Rogen and Zac Efron on May 20th. And Johnny Depp returns as the Mad Hatter in Alice Through the Looking Glass on May 27th. And the X-Men Apocalypse will continue the story of the mutants on May 27th. That's it for Sequel City as far as movies sequels coming your way in theaters in May. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD coming your way in May as far as uh, TV shows. TV on DVD coming your way in May. Well, it looks like on May 3rd, Airwolf Season 1 and the complete series will be coming your way. We also have uh, some interviews in our past uh, episodes that you can listen to that uh, feature some of the stars of Airwolf. And also, let's see, Knight Rider Season 1 and Season 2 will be coming your way on May 3rd, along with The Last Ship Season 2 and Mad About You, the complete series. May 10th, look for Bob Bob Black Sheep. That's the final season coming your way. And also Beauty and the Beast Season 3. And Have Gun Will Travel with uh, Richard Boone will be coming your way in the complete series category. And it looks like New Heart Season 5 will be coming your way on May 10th along with The Untouchables, the complete series. May 17th, look for Cop Rock. And that is on the complete series list. And it looks like Facts of Life Season 9 will be coming our way, along with Orange is the New Black Season 3 and Xena Warrior Princess Season 6. May 24th, you can look for, let's see here, Call the Midwife Season 5. And Lou Grant, of course, starring Ed Asner, who was a guest here at On Screen and Beyond in the past, Season 1. And on May 31st, Suits Season 5 will be arriving and that's it for TV on DVD coming your way in May. Next on On Screen and Beyond, let's take a peek at what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD in May. <laughs> movies coming your way in May uh, as far as on DVD. May 3rd, you can look for The Fifth Wave, also The Choice, and Joy with Jennifer Lawrence will be hitting the stores. On May 10th, you can look for The Boy with Lauren Cohen, and also Deadpool, big hit with Ryan Reynolds. And May 17th, Dirty Grandpa with Robert De Niro and also The Witch. May 24th, you can look for The Big Short with Steve Carell, The Finest Hours with Chris Pine, Zoolander with Ben Stiller. On May 31st, Gods of Egypt with Gerard Butler, Race with Jeremy Irons, Spotlight with Mark Ruffalo, Steve Jobs, and Trumbo with Brian Cranston. And that's it for Movies on DVD coming your way on DVD in May. And that's it. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, it's TV and Entertainment Time. <laughs> TV and Entertainment Time. Well, it looks like a TV show called Krypton is in the works over at Sci-Fi, and it will tell the story of Superman's grandfather on Krypton. And you can look for MTV. They're going to be going back to its music roots. Music television, MTV, will once again actually play music. And that's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's Celebrity Birthdays. We baked you a birthday cake. 
don't forget we told you so. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! <laughs> Celebrity birthdays. It looks like on April 25th, Al Pacino turns 76 and Renee Zellweger turns 47. April 26, Channing Tatum will be turning 36 and Kevin James, 51. On April 28th, Jessica Alba turns 35. Jay Leno, he's turning 66. And on April 29th, it looks like Willie Nelson turns 83 and Jerry Seinfeld turns 62. And on April 30th, Cloris Leachman turns 90. And on April, uh, May 1st, it's going to be Judy Collins turning 77. And that's it for Celebrity Birthdays. As far as listener birthdays, it looks like Carla T. of San Francisco, California, turns 52 on April 28th. And that's it for Celebrity and Listener Birthdays. And if you or a friend or a relative are having a birthday, send us the information here at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com and uh, give us all the information. And we will all wish you a very happy birthday along with all the listeners here at On Screen and Beyond. And it's it, that time. It is time now to have a talk with the man who gave us at this moment, Billy Vera, next on On Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, our guest is a singer-songwriter who has dipped his feet in acting in the past with parts in The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, Beverly Hills 90210, and others. And he has written songs for Dolly Parton, Fats Domino, Ricky Nelson, but we all remember his 1980s hit at this moment. It's Billy Vera. Billy, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Oh, thanks for having me, Brian. Billy, of course, at this moment, that was a song that it, uh, it, it just grabbed hold of everybody uh, after it was on the TV show Family Ties. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the record had been out five years earlier. Right, yeah. And uh, it only went to about number 79 because the, uh, the head of promotion at the record company that it was on at the time it got to a bit of a tiff with the president of the company and quit ah. so uh, we had nobody to promote the record back then but you know and then the first year it was on uh family ties the first season uh, you know i got a bag of mail and uh, we had no record out people people that were asking nbc you know what's the name of that song who's the singer where can we get it and i managed to uh to get Rhino Records to license it and uh, and put it out again. Hmm. Now, now why, didn't, label. why didn't another label jump back on it? I mean, nobody was interested. You know, I was uh, you know hadn't had a record deal in th five years, and and I was you know I was forty years old by that time. You know, nobody wants a forty-year-old rock and roll singer. <laughs> so uh, you know, but Rhino. Just never thought it would be a hit. The guy, the, the president of, the, of Rhino, was a fellow named Richard Foos, and we were friends. And uh, you know, because I did some reissue work, mm -hmm. and uh, and he just basically did it just just to be nice to me because he liked me. 
he never, he, to this day, he'll tell you, he said, I never thought it was going to sell any records. He said, we were shocked when all the orders kept coming in. Wow. Jeez. Now, were you surprised? I, you know, I, from the previous season on Family Ties, I, because I, I had had a lot of songs on, not a lot, but quite a few songs on, uh, on TV shows and never got any mail. But so when I got mail for this one, I said, wow, there must be something to this song. And then when they used it the second, the next season, uh, it the story of the song "Boy Loses Girl" matched the story of the episode because the girl broke up with Michael J. Fox. Yeah. In the episode, and uh, so I guess that really cemented it in the public's mind. Yeah. And of course, that was the number show, two show in the country at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right after the Cosby Show. Yeah. And. Uh, and so it, it had everything going for it, television-wise, and uh, it just just was a true organic hit. I mean, the, you know, Rhino had no idea how to promote current records. Right? Was, yeah, they were doing all the the, the reissues. Yeah, they were putting out Louis Louis. You right. Know? <laughs> I mean, that was basically the, what they did, and how they made their living, and they did it better than anybody else. But you know, they they just didn't have the faintest idea how to promote a record. So. There was no payola, you know, it was none of that stuff. It was just a true, true grassroots record mm-hmm. and one of those rarities. Yeah, yeah, and it was, it, it, it's such a great song, though. I mean, oh, you, you know, even even now, I mean, you know, all these years later, you, you know, you can play that song and it's like, you know, it's very uh, something that, you know, people don't listen to and say, ah, that's an old song. I mean, it, it just is a great song, you know. It seems to touch people of all ages. I mean, even at the time when it was a hit, you know, it was our audience at that time as a result of the hit grew into, you know, everything from junior high school kids who used it in their little prom to mm-hmm. 65-year-old couples. You know, I mean, it was just, there was, it was just across all boundaries, all demographic groups. It was on the country charts, the rhythm and blues charts, the adult charts top 40 charts it's just one of those records that right. comes along very rarely mm-hmm. yeah Jeez. once in a lifetime for yeah. some of us you know yeah. now w- when it came out uh, the second time were were you and the beaters still together at that time or oh yeah yeah we, we had been working uh steadily around la we were you know we because there was nine of us uh you know we it wasn't economically feasible for us to tour uh you know, you're, it's not like you're a 22-year-old quartet that'll, right. that'll travel in a van and double up in hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. You know, these were grown guys who had played on sessions and and had toured with big stars. Uh, so, you know, it, it was very, very expensive to tour that band. And so we, we played around Southern California, and we were packing them in uh, sure. even before the record hit. Uh, yeah, we were we were just a popular local local band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So now, uh, did did you write this song? I did. Yes, you did. Okay, was it, you alone or did you co-write it? Or I wrote it alone and uh, and I co-published it with Warner Brothers Music. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know that was that worked out very well for me. Yeah. Now we especially because a lot of there were a lot of covers of the song. You know, most most recently, well, most recently it was Michael Bublé. Right. Yeah. 
he sold about ten and a half million records. Right? <laughs> Which was a big windfall, you know. I, I took one of the checks, and uh, and I, I financed my dream album. I've always wanted to do a big band album, mm-hmm. and uh, so I took, you know, eighteen of the best music, jazz musicians in L.A. and went into Capitol Studio A where Sinatra and Nat Cole and Nancy Wilson made all their classics. Wow. And uh, we just did it first class all the way. And, uh, you know, I, so now I got a big band jazz album, Billy Vera big band jazz album on the, it's being played on, on the jazz stations here and in New York. And then I perform with a big band here and in New York as well. Yeah. Now, you always wanted to do that. Do you feel that jazz was your roots or the big band sound was your roots? Well, my roots are, are very broad. Uh, my mother was a, a singer, background singer on the Perry Como show. Uh, and she sang on all these hit records, you know, during that period. And so she'd bring home, she had, she, you know, she had very hip taste, and she'd bring home Sinatra records and Nat King Cole records and Duke Ellington records and and all that, you know. So I was I was exposed to that kind of music as well as the rock and roll music of my teenage years, you know, the Fats Dominoes and the mm-hmm. Chuck Berries and the Frankie Lymans and, and Little Richard and all that stuff. So, you know, my taste, as I say, was just crossed a lot of boundaries. Mm-hmm. Now, now, I mentioned in the uh, intro that you had written a hit song for uh, Dolly Parton, of course, and, and you also mm-hmm. wrote for Ricky Nelson and Fats Domino and everything. So you mentioned Fats Domino as you were growing up. Now, you must have been thrilled when you were able to have a song sung by by Fats oh that you God, wrote. yes. I mean, he was an idol. <laughs> I, I mean, the first time I ever went to the record store to buy, to buy records, 12 years old, I mean, I bought Blueberry Hill. Mm-hmm. You know, that was... Yeah. I mean, I just, I loved his sound. I loved, I loved, I, I think the fact that he had a saxophone band, like, was influential on the Beaters, mm-hmm. yeah. forming the Beaters. Uh, that and Ray Charles, of course, who was another idol of mine. Hmm. Yeah. There's something about a saxophone. It, it adds so much to a song, I, I think, personally. I mean, it... Yeah, well, people say that it, it, of all the musical instruments, the, the the saxophone, especially the tenor sax, uh, most mo- replicates the human voice more than any other instrument. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to agree. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, quite a few years ago, I wrote a song that was uh, used in a movie, and I uh, I wrote the words, and the, another guy wrote the the tune for it, and uh, he put in this whale and sax. Uh, piece in between in the middle of it and it was like wow that i mean it added so much to it (laughs) It it was amazing it's you know i mean in my head you know i wasn't even thinking of anything like that but when he threw that in it was like wow this you know it really made a difference sure does it's incredible now uh, are you doing any more touring you know going at clubs anymore or you uh i still play uh you know not not as often as i'd like but i play with the beaters in may i, I go to new york and i play at a club called iridium mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is the top jazz club in new york and i'm doing that with the big band 
Hmm. So I, what I do there is I, I I I use local guys, you know, because with a big band all you need is guys that can read and and some guys that can solo, so you don't have to worry about them memorizing your songs. Right. Yeah. I was going to say how how does that work with you know I mean you travel with a big band with you that's no, that's going to be could afford that. I mean that that was the demise of the big band in the big band era. Right. Because nobody could afford it anymore. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, I, I, I've heard stories from some of the guys who well, they're all dead now, but you know, I, you know, I got to meet a lot of those old time guys, you know, and Count Basie band and all these, and you know, they told me they, that they were working for like, you know, twenty five dollars a week, you know, <laughs> and they had to pay their own hotel rooms and hmm. well, so but, they'd stay in these crummy places. And, yeah. You know. I mean, by by the time you divvy it up between thirty guys, I mean, <laughs> they sleep on the bus. You know, right? Kind of... Yeah. Jeez. Huh. Your music, of course, has always been, I presume, one of the biggest parts of your life. But you also stepped into the acting a little bit. Uh, what made you decide to go into acting a little bit? Well, I was sort of uh, coerced into it. Um, <laughs> the fellow that really was my main mentor as a songwriter was a guy named chip taylor and chip wrote wild thing and angel of the morning and and we wrote a couple of lesser hits together um and uh his brother was a at that time was an up-and-coming actor named john voigt oh (laughs) so when i first moved to la or first started playing in la with beaters we, we used to play every midnight at at the Troubadour, every Monday night at midnight at the Troubadour. And one night John came in with uh, his acting coach, a fellow named David Proval, who you'll remember from uh, Sopranos and Mean Streets. Mm-hmm. And uh, so after the show, you know, John came up to the dressing room and he said, man, he said, you know, he said, uh, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen you sing, you know, since we, you were a kid, but... He said, uh, "He said you're doing something I, I've, I've never seen another singer do." He said, "He said most singers, you know, manipulate an audience. I'm going to make you laugh. I'm going to make you cry." He said, "You don't do that." He said, "You just lay it out there, man, like a, and, and kind of get emotionally naked in front of the audience and let them feel what they'll feel naturally." He said. He said, "That's what we do in in, uh, in our in, in our class." He said, "You you really have to come. You know, you, you'd make a great actor." I said, "Oh, John, I don't want to be an actor. You know, <laughs> you know, it's really not my thing." Yeah. <laughs> he said, "No, no." So he was really insistent, and I so I finally went. And the first night I was there, I, I saw these couple of guys up on stage working out. And I said, "Wow, there's you know, there's really something to this. You know, maybe I could use it in my on stage performance." And I and I, you know, it took me a while to even get the nerve to go up there and you know and, and do the exercises. But I finally did, and after a while, I, I you know, I got I got good at it, and people started asking me to be in plays and hmm. and then television show, a couple of television shows, and then I you know. And I got this movie, uh, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, which became, you know, which was a flop in the theaters. But, right. But a year later, when they released it on video, it became number one for six months. Yeah. And it's become, over the years, this 
incredible cult film. Right, yeah. Because a lot of that cast went on to be, you know, important actors. You know, oh, Jeff yeah. Goldblum and uh, John Lithgow mm -hmm. and uh, Christopher Lloyd and, you know, uh, Peter Weller, of course, the star, and Ellen Barkin. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, quite a cast, actually. <laughs> it was a hell of a cast. And it was a, really a lot of fun, the most fun I ever had on a movie. And then later, you know, I, 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 I did uh, The Doors, and I did another one uh, called Blind Date with Bruce Willis and right. Kim Basinger, yeah. and, and a whole bunch of thug of the week, I call them, parts <laughs> on TV shows. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and then, then when the record hit, you know, then it, then it became uh, a matter of, you know, time, you know, what do I devote my time to? Right. Well, you devote your time to what is the most current thing that's making you money, mm -hmm. and that was the, the, the record and the band. But uh, and then, you know, uh, I, I stumbled into a, a voiceover career. Right. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, and then, of course, you know, that just took off like wildfire. Uh, I mean, I was working two, three jobs a day. And uh, and so one day, I, I get it, you know, David Hasselhoff was a fan of mine. And he, he said, I'm doing this new show called called Baywatch. And I'd like you, you know, I'm asking my friends to do, you know, do, do a part on, on it. I said, sure, I'll be happy to. And so I did. And, you know, a couple of years later, the show's huge. And and they asked me to, do an, to come back and do another one, uh, episode. So I did it, and, and that that day, I mean, I was in the water. I was the I was the guy that Hasselhoff saves, <laughs> you know. And I'm in the water like all day in the deep, dirty, filthy Pacific shark-infested water. I, and and at the end of the day, I had to run over to CBS and do like a half hour's worth of promos, you know, for their comedy shows. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, Thursday on the nannies, he takes off all her clothes. You know? <laughs> Eight seven central, yeah. So, I I made more money in that half hour than I made the whole week on Baywatch. Wow! <laughs> and I said to myself, you know, my ego doesn't need to see my mug on camera anymore. <laughs> I just want the money, you know. And that's when I finally just gave up, you know, on camera. Acting. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, I was just it was a horse decision. I just. <laughs> I just wanted the money. Yeah, hey, I can't blame you. I mean, <laughs> you got to eat. That's the thing. Well, I had this expensive uh, actress wife at the time, so ah. <laughs> you know, she was spending me a, spending a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. So when we communicated the first time there, uh, you were telling me that uh, you had some other things coming up, and uh, they sounded pretty interesting. So can you give us a an idea of what you've got coming up down the line? Yeah. Um, Actually, you know, suddenly I guess I'm reaching the age now where where people are starting to take me seriously. <laughs> and I, I, my my dear friend, uh, the great jazz saxophonist Benny Golson, once told me. He said, "You know, Billy." He said, "When I when I turned 45, he said I couldn't get arrested anymore." <laughs> he said, "But when I turned 65, I became a legend." <laughs> And I guess that's kind of happening to me now. Uh, there's a documentary on me in in the works that they're doing. It's 
in fact, all, all I think all the filming is done, and so now they're in the editing process, and it's called Harlem to Hollywood, mm-hmm. and uh, and I've written uh, an autobiography of the same title, Harlem to Hollywood. It's coming out uh, hopefully before Christmas, and uh, you know, and then. I stumbled across some slides that I took, uh, photos I took when I first moved to L.A. My bass player, you know, used to drive me around at night because I had this idea to shoot pictures of old neon signs. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I took about a hundred of them and, you know, put them away somewhere. And then I showed them to somebody not long ago. And she said, my God, these are great. She said, you should do a gallery showing. You should do a book. You should, should, you know. I said, really? You think they're that good? She said, yeah. So I had another conversation with a, a kid I went to high school with, and he has a little publishing company. And he said, man, he said, he said, vintage L.A., vintage neon. He said, vintage is in. You know, neon is uh, is, is, is trending Mm-hmm. He said, this is a very commercial idea. He said, you could do a book of that and uh, the photo, your photos. And he said, I could sell a ton of that books, that book. <laughs> so now I got, here I am, you know, with a third grade education, and I got two books coming out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that really sounds interesting, though, because, you know, I mean, of course, this is me. I mean, I don't know how everybody feels the same way, but, you know, Things like that, old vintage signs like that. I mean, that's really neat when you see those things. And, you know, so I've seen some that do old uh, 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 movie theater signs. And, you know, the, the well, yeah, I mean, I, I have some old movie theater uh, marquees in, in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and, in, in fact, they're interesting. What's interesting about them is that most of them are taken downtown in downtown in L.A. on Broadway and in uh, Main Street, which was in the. You know, in the 1930s, that was like the center of L.A. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, by 1979, when I took those pictures, it, it, that, that area had gone pretty much downhill. Mm-hmm. And all the, all the movies that are on the marquees are in Spanish. Ah, uh, yeah. So today, though, there's a renaissance of that area. And so, so this, this, what I have on... In my in my pictures, is a, a, a snapshot really of of a time and place that no longer exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I did, what what, he, what the, my friend who has the publishing company told me to do, he said he said write you know write a few pages of you know introduction of the book, and then what I'll do is we'll put a picture on each right hand page as you open, and on the left. He said, write a couple of paragraphs on on each picture. And so then I, I you know, what I did was I, I Googled if it was a restaurant or a motel or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it was, yeah. uh, you know, a, a plumber. You know, I would Google them and, and I'd, you know, write something about that place that I had photographed. You know, so it, it, it should be a, an interesting book. You know, a little coffee table book. Right, yeah, yeah. And, you know, if we can get it out before Christmas, man, we might sell a few. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that sounds great. That sounds Yeah, like it'd be fun, man. Yeah, yeah. And, and your, uh, your uh, 
other book that you you are, are writing your uh, memoir that uh-huh. you're, you're doing. Uh, I, I always I just had Tony Tennille on the show and uh, we talked about it. And, and is it was it hard for you to to look back at your life and, and write it? No, I because I have a good memory. You know, I have a very good memory, and uh, you know, the the hard part for me was, uh, you know, how to how to start it. You know, where do you begin? Mm-hmm. You know, because you want to grab people's attention, you don't want to bore them. First. Right. <laughs> so I was born on a snowy night. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, who cares? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And and you know, and my my life is not one of those very dramatic lives is because I've never done drugs or alcohol or, you know, any of that stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, it's not the typical rock star life. You know, he, he, he has a hit record too young. Right. Uh, he gets, he gets messed up on drugs. He goes to rehab. He gets a new haircut and a new, new album out to promote. Right. You know, I mean, that's really the same story. You, you name any 500 rock musicians. Right. That's, yeah. That's the same story. But with me, it, it, my life was a lot different. You know, I, you know, I was this white kid that, you know, came from a showbiz family and fell in love with black music and, you know, played the Apollo Theater and, you know, and and, and made a made a life in the world of black popular music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and then, you know, on and on and on and on to move to L.A. eventually. <laughs> You know, so it's a it's a very different story, and 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 you know, I also I, I had read a couple of these books where, you know, it was, and then I slept with, right? <laughs> you know, and I, and I I did not want to write one of those. You know, I, it's so tacky, right? Yeah, and and you know, I think too, if if I look back at, you know, I lived in Hollywood, so you date a lot of actresses, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, a lot of these women, you know, they they they're 50 years old now and you know maybe leading respectable lives and right. have children and <laughs> they don't want to read about what wildness they did with musicians and when they were 22 years old right yeah yeah you know so you got to be a gentleman about it yeah <laughs> so i didn't want to write that so but I, what i figured it started was finally it finally came to me after a long lot of thinking uh Somebody said, "Well, pick pick a, a really significant moment in in your career and your life, and and then start with that, and then go back to the beginning." Yeah. Ah. Okay. Good. So I I, I picked the day I got my star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Hmm. Good. Good place. Yeah. Good place. Yeah, to start. that was a good, you know, a good starting. Yeah. Huh. Well, I'll, I'll be waiting to hear, see that one because uh, it's uh, I, like I say I like reading those things and and hearing about uh, how people came to to be where they are and everything and of course that's what the show deals with but on a very small scale or uh, full book obviously we can't uh, get everything in there so it's always interesting to see read the books and everything. Yeah, and I, I was lucky I got some a lot of wonderful photographers that have photographed me over the years uh, were very generous about letting me, letting me use the pictures without payment hmm. yeah. so that was very kind of them yeah 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Billy, I'd like to finish up with two final questions. Uh-huh. It takes us away from your your acting and your voiceovers and your music and your hit songs and everything else. When you sit back and relax, what do you watch on TV? What's your favorite shows now and of the past? And what's your favorite movies now and of the past? Oh, boy. I, I like a lot of old movies, uh, you know, TMC, Turner Classics. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite movies that was on not long ago was a, a Shanghai Express with Marlena Dietrich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you know that one. Yeah, it's just so beautifully photographed. Uh, you know, it's like every shot in there should be on a museum wall. <laughs> That's how beautiful it is. And and then for silent movies, I love uh, there's, there's two movies by Louise Brooks. Um, you know, Diary of a Lost Girl is one. And, and I like the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movies because I love the dancing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I like that. I like a lot of the films noir. You know, Robert Mitchum, I love, he's, he's so great. I met him. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I had I used to do a radio show, you know, uh, playing old records because I'm a big-time record collector. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, I went into a voiceover gig. And and the the receptionist, I, it was a studio I worked at a lot. And um, the little receptionist was a pretty little girl who used to be a mud wrestler <laughs> you know, at the Tropicana. And so and she liked to talk to me, you know, for whatever reason. So so you know she knew the things I liked to talk about. So there's this old guy sitting over there on the couch, and she says, "Billy, she says, look who's here." She says, "Robert Mitchum." And I look over, God, it was him. Wow. And I, was, you know, I had just been talking about him on the radio the, the weekend before. And I, so I told him that. And he said, uh, you know, he was he was doing, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever it was, um, pork, it's the new beef or whatever yeah, yeah. thing he was doing, you know. <laughs> and so we talked a bit and I told him you know, I said, I love all those old black and white movies you made in the 40s, man. He said, oh, yeah. He said, you know, they had me doing sometimes three pictures at the same time. Wow. I said, three pictures at the same time? I said, how did you keep your, your characters straight and everything? He said, oh, come on, man. He said, acting is nothing. Anybody can do it. <laughs> you know, he, he, I said, well, what did you do? He said, you know, in the morning I'd be, uh, I'd be shooting some... Uh, uh, you know, some interiors, you know, like a some mushy love scene. In the afternoon, I might be shooting uh, a cowboy scene and you know, on a horse in a cowboy movie. And at night, they'd have me doing some detective movie, you know, shooting somebody in an alley. Wow, that's incredible. So, so I said, I said, but I said, one of your later movies, I said, there's one that I just, it made me know what a great actor you are. And I said, it's called Maria's Lovers from uh, 
1984 with uh, Nastasha Kinski, who was at the peak of her beauty at that time. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, you're you're now an older man, and and it's a, you're in this crummy old house in Scranton, Pennsylvania, or some crummy town. And and I said, you're sitting in a kitchen on a wooden chair, and she's she's sweeping the floor and backlit. She's wearing a diaphanous dress, and, and the light's coming through the dress, and you can see her body. And you're and 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 you don't have any words. You don't say anything. You're just looking at her. And I said, but on your face, I can see every woman you've ever been with and ever wanted and couldn't get. And as you're looking at this beautiful young girl, he says, oh, yeah, I remember that scene. He said, those assholes from Entertainment Tonight came through and walked in front of the camera, and I had to shoot a second take. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean... I just loved his attitude, you know. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It was really one of, a great moment to, to meet him and talk to him like that. Wow. That's, and that's... then for television shows today, um, I, I, I have kind of a variety of shows I like to watch, and some of them are, you know, kind of dumb, but I like them anyway. Mm-hmm. I love uh, Two Broke Girls. Ah, okay, yeah. I, I love the relationship between them, and 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 the humor is so rude. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'll just be lying there in my bed, you know, watching the show, and I, I'm alone. And I laugh out loud, you know, <laughs> at the at the rude humor. Yeah. So that that's one of them. Uh, I like Blue Bloods with Tom Selleck. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do I like? Uh, um, I, I like. Some of the Netflix things. There's one called Peaky Blinders on Netflix. It's a British thing. It takes place around 1920, and the Peaky Blinders are a, are a gang in this, you know, uh, dirty town called uh, Birmingham, and and they they control the crime there. And it's I, I, a friend of mine turned me on to the show, and I I think I speed watched. You know the whole two seasons in hmm. like two days. I'm gonna have to check that one out. I haven't I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, you, if, if you like that, if you like the Sopranos, it's like the Sopranos with British accents. Okay, yeah, yeah. Peaky, P-E-A-K-Y, blinders. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Yeah. Well. Billy, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share with us, and uh, I can't wait for your books to come out, and thank also uh, the documentary. That sounds all sounds very interesting, and uh, it's uh, can't wait to see them. Yeah, send everybody out to buy Billy Vera Big Band Jazz if they like big band uh, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got any more plans of any new new music coming out? Not at the moment. I mean, people have been on me for the last few years to do a Christmas album, and you know. All the great Christmas songs have been recorded over and over again. <laughs> Trying to figure a way to do them that that will still honor them, but but not sound like every other version that yeah. you've already heard. Time to write a new one, Billy. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, one I would include. I wrote when I was one when I was fourteen, and a Christmas song. Yeah, and you know, I, I read the lyrics back today, and I said, "My goodness!" I said that. How could I, that, I, I can't believe I was that good at that age. <laughs> it's really a, a, a solid, solid little lyric there. Wow. Yeah, you know, with like a you know, because 
one of the things Chip taught me back in the old days, he said, he said, remember, uh, a good lyric is like a short story. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And this song, this little song has that. So. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we'll hear it sometime. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Billy. Thanks a lot for for joining us. Okay. My pleasure. A big thank you going out to Billy Vera for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. I just love that song. When that song came out, it just seemed to hit the chord with everybody. And uh, I, I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm sure a lot of you did too. So, uh, And, of course, it, it, it was the perfect song for the uh, family ties, you know, with uh, Michael, uh, Michael J. Fox and uh, the, the whole storyline and everything. It just, just was the best song they could have picked for that. So... Uh, really thank Billy for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. And uh, that's about it. If you have a suggestion for a guest, send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. And uh, I will look at those and see if I can get that person on here. Uh, like I always say, it's it's difficult sometimes trying to get these people. Finding them is the first thing. After I find them, if I can make a connection with them. And then we go from there and hopefully we can get them on. So just send that to me, and uh, we always always appreciate that. So that is it. That's a wrap for this week. So until next week, when do we once again take you on screen and beyond? I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. <laughs>